0: A type. The Bible talks about a type. People say, here's the type, or this is a type of Christ. What a type is, is something that was used, uh, maybe something in the Old Testament that was really like a picture. It was either a person or event that was supposed to be like a foreshadow. It, it, go, it gave us an idea of something. Let me give you an idea of a type, like uh, foreshadows of Jesus Christ. Like the Passover lamb was really a type of Christ. As they would take that lamb and they killed it and the blood was shed and they delivered them from the bondage of Egypt... That was a type of Christ because it was a foreshadow of what Jesus Christ was going to do as the Lamb of God who was going to shed His blood and deliver us from the bondage of sin. So that's what we're talking about. The sacrifices in the Old Testament, most of them were really pictures of, of Jesus Christ and His coming sacrifice because the Old Testament sacrifices only covered sin, but there would be a spotless lamb, a spotless animal being sacrificed for somebody else. That was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ coming as our great Savior who's going to be sacrificed for us, the spotless Lamb of God. But the day of as it was a type in a sense when the high priest would kill a bull and kill a goat and they would go in there and he would cover the sins of the nation of Israel and, he, and the only person thing could do that was the, the high priest of Israel and we're going to find that that was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ as the great high priest who's going to come and offer himself as the final sacrifice for sin forever. So types are things that were in the Old Testament that really foreshadowed Jesus or what he was going to do. Well this evening we're going to see a type of Christ and the type of Christ is a man named Melchizedek who was a king and priest of Salem now you may have figured out already that Salem is the same as Jerusalem is Jerusalem so it's the same place and we meet this man named Melchizedek uh, he is a type of Christ because he's a foreshadow of Christ he's the king priest who comes from jerusalem and and you realize that jesus christ is the king priest from jerusalem in that sense because he that the sacrifice is made there and we'll see how all that ties together There's some great truths and we want to gain some understandings about people and events and even choices well let's begin let's think about what's happened abram and lot his nephew had come into the land and God had blessed them so much that everywhere they moved, they got so many animals and so many people that they got to the point where they couldn't even live together anymore. It was just too crowded. And so Abram said to Lot, and now Abraham is, is the older one, is the wiser one. He's the one that God has made the decision and the choices with and the covenant with. But Abram is such a great man that he goes to the younger Lot and says, Listen, it's just too crowded. Here's what I want you to do. You pick wherever you want to go. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. you go to the left, I'll go to the right. He's giving him the choice. Abram could say, Hey, you go over there, I'm going over here. But he didn't. And so Lot looked around, and he saw the well-water plains of the Jordan, and he saw a couple of cities down there, Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were already known for their wickedness. But it was better land. It was good land. It was, it was a great-looking like a place to live. And so Lot decided to move down that direction. And he did. And Abram, of course, went the opposite direction. Now, what happened? Is four kings from pretty far away came, and they had the, the, some of the king of Sodom and Gomorrah and some others had been paying tribute to a guy. His name was Chedor and and uh, they'd been paying tribute to him, but one year they decided they weren't going to pay tribute anymore. So he comes down there and whoops them. He comes down there and starts taking all these cities, and when he gets to Sodom and Gomorrah, he goes into Sodom and he takes it. And a lot. Abram's nephew is taken off and his family and everything. Well, a guy escapes the battle, comes back and says to Abram, your nephew got taken off into the battle. Now, what had not been any account to Abram, because he didn't care anything about this guy, suddenly, now he's got to deal with it because his nephew is taken off. And so he gets 318 of his own men. And then there's some guys there named name of Anir and Eshkerl and, and Mamre. They're all living there together. They're all allies with him. They come together, get their men, and they go and attack this this big army, basically four different armies, they attack them at night. And nobody's been able to whip them, but Abram and his people, they just whipped them. And God gave the great victory. And, and, the, and the key thing that we have to remember is that it is God who gave the victory. It was not it was not Abram's great soldiers. It was not uh, uh, anything like that. It was God who gave the victory. Now, uh, as Abram comes back from the battle, he's met by two different kings. You want to sit with your husband? You can. It won't bother me. <laughs> But anyway, so Abram is met by these two kings. One is the king of Sodom, and the other is the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem. Now, we saw a couple of weeks ago, because last time we had the big Thanksgiving fellowship, which was incredible, and we saw what happened. when When he meets the king from Sodom, Sodom comes out and basically says, Thank you so much. Abram won't even pay any the time of day to this guy, and but we meet another man and his name is Melchizedek and we see what happened. Let's go back, look at verse sixteen. And, and and it says this. He brought back this is Abram, he brought back all the goods, and also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions, and also the women and the people. So Abram had a great, great victory. And and really, in a sense, it's going to be a new beginning. Do you know what Lot could do? Now I want you to understand this. Lot knows where he's living is bad. It's a wicked city. It's already known as for its wickedness and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. In fact, the city is going to be so bad that one day God is going to send an angel down to check the city out and God's going to destroy the whole city. Sodom and Gomorrah is going to destroy them both. What Lot could do after coming back from Abram, he could have said, Hey, thanks for saving me. Woo! I tell you what, best thing for me to do is I don't think I need to be with the people in Sodom anymore. That's not what he does. He goes right back there. In fact, as Owen and I were talking before the service, not only does he go back down there, and not only does he just live there, he actually becomes in leadership there because it says that Lot was at the gate of the city, which meant he was a person of responsibility in the city. So it's a, it's a he just he makes mistake after mistake. Now, notice as Abram comes back, he's going to be met by two kings, one from Sodom and one from Salem, which is Jerusalem. Each one's going to offer him something. One's gonna offer him blessing. That's the king of Salem. The other's gonna offer him possessions. He's gonna to have to make a choice. Because the king of Sodom's gonna to come to him and say, hey, y'all this stuff? You can have it all, man. You can have it all for, for giving the victory. And Abram, who's already wealthy, can be even more wealthy. And you know, sometimes you say, if I had a lot of money, I wouldn't want any more money. Well, that's not exactly the way it is. In fact, the more you have, the more you what? More you want. I mean, people say, how much is enough? Well, Just a little bit more is enough. Just a little bit more. Just give me a little bit more, and I'll be okay. So one comes with blessing, the other comes with possessions. One comes from wicked Sodom, the other is the king of peace from Jerusalem, and we'll see how that all ties together. So the teens couldn't be more different. And you picture yourself as Abram. You've come back, great victory. You you are now declared sort of a hero. Because you've saved all these people's lives, and you're bringing everything back, and the king of Sodom is coming out to meet you. Now, let me tell you, you you, you don't like him. If you were Abram, you don't like him. You know he's a wicked man. You know the things that are going on in the city. Uh, I mean, let's face it. If the name of the city is Sodom, and we get the word sodomy from it, you can picture what's going on in the city, okay? And it's a wicked place, and so here's what happens. Look at verse 17. First, we meet the king of Sodom. It says, then after his return, verse 17, then after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. So he comes out to meet Abram. And basically he's coming out to say, thank you so much. And I like, you know, my family, my people back and all these things because he's done a great thing for him. Now, without any information, we go to the next one. And the next one, it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now, he was a priest of God Most High. Now, we meet the king of Salem. And we're going to go quickly through this part. and we're going to come back and talk more about him. But who is this guy? We know that Salem is the same city that eventually became known as Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So his name is Melchizedek, Mel, and, and, and there's two Hebrew words together that form this man's name. Melik which means king, and Zadak, which means righteousness. He was the king of righteousness. He's also called the king of priests. He comes out with bread and wine, and he's described, notice this, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. Sometimes when you read that, people say, well, how can he be a priest of God Most High? Abram's the only one that knows about the true God. No. From Cain and, I mean, from uh, Noah and his family, they came off that ark and they knew about the God Most High and they spread out. And so not, Abram is not the only person who knows about the true God and has believed in the true God. Abram is the one that God chose to leave the earth of the Chaldees to come to what we call the promised land and that he's going to make a great nation from Abram. He's going to, he made a covenant with Abram. But that doesn't mean there's not other people who believe in the true God. And we find that there's obviously in the city of Salem, Jerusalem, there is a man who is a king and a priest. And he's a priest of God Most High. So it's a little bit unusual. Now let me just tell you about this man for just a second. We'll come back to him later. Um, he just sort of starts right here. And if you if you and if you weren't careful, that's the last you see of him. You say, "Whatever happened to that guy?" You start looking through Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You never find this guy again. And you go, "What? Who was this man? Who was this king priest from Jerusalem? Who was he?" You have to go all the way to Psalm one ten before he's mentioned again. Then you have to go to the Book of Hebrews in the New Testament before he's mentioned again. And so this man just sort of appears and disappears. And what we're going to find, he's a type of Christ. Now, he's a real person, but what God did is this man was a foreshadow of what Jesus is going to be like as the king priest. He is described as the priest of the Most High God. His title was, that's the true God. It's the same one that Abram worshipped. Here he is in Salem, a priest. What's going on? Who is this man? Notice what he says. Look at verse 19. He blessed him. Now, he, uh, Melchizedek, is blessing Abram. Now, if when you read the scripture who 's one of the most important men in the Bible? You say abram you, you know there 's Abram and I, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and moses and 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 noah and and those are really important people well here 's a man who we don 't know anything about, and he 's blessing Abram. See the one doing the blessing is technically greater than the one getting blessed. Come here, my son, I will bless you okay who 's the most important one there you 'd say the guy doing the blessing. So here's this guy we don't even know about, and he's blessing Abraham. And so he blessed him and said, "Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth." So he he recognizes. I mean, Abraham's going to recognize that he was the you know priest of the Most High God, and and uh, he has brought this victory. And and uh, Melchizedek said, "Blessed be Abram of God Most High." possessor of heaven and earth. God Most High is the possessor of heaven and earth. That's why God can give the victory any time. God can do anything He wants to do. You know that. God is the creator, redeemer, sustainer, provider, protector. He is the possessor of everything. And He works all things according to the counsel of His will. And when the Jewish people go into battle and God says, You're going to win the battle? I guarantee you they're going to win the battle. Because God controls all things and works all things. Everything belongs to Him. He created it. He made it. And it's His. And He works all things according to the counsel. So it says, He is the possessor of heaven and earth. Because He made it all. And then it goes on to say, and blessed be God, most high. Now, Melchizedek is blessing God. Why is he blessing God? Now, the word bless God, whenever you see this, when God blesses man, it's always God doing something for man. When it's man blesses God, it is always God man praising God. And so here is this man named Melchizedek, and he's praising God. And he says, and blessed be God most high. Why is he praising God? He says, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. he's talking to Abram, and he says, praise be to God because he gave you victory over your enemies. Now, I want you to know something, that humanly speaking, there is no way, That Abraham, with 318 men, and these other three guys, Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre, and their small little army is going to go defeat four kings who've already wiped out city after city after city. We saw it two weeks ago. They whipped people all over the place. In fact, five kings came out to defeat them, and all five kings got defeated just like that. So, if humanly speaking, there is no way that Abraham's going to win this battle. And yet he took 318 men with these other three guys and their soldiers, and they went up there and they defeated these people. In fact, it said they ran them all the way out and saved every person's life and brought all the possessions back. I mean, you'd have to say, that is a miracle. And what is he saying? Blessed be God most high. Who has delivered your enemy into your hand? It wasn't Abram that got the victory. It was God who got the victory. And I'm going to tell you what, in our lives, we go through life and something happens and God uses us. And you can't say, look what I did. It's not what you did. It's what God did through you. It is God who always gives the victory. It's God who's working all things. And so we've got to always understand that. Now, if you're not careful, we'll, we'll miss this at the end because it says, verse 20, And he bl- blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemy into enemies into your hand. He gave him a tenth of all. If you're not careful, if you don't know the rest of the Bible, you may think, That Melchizedek gave a tenth of something to Abram. But it's just the opposite. When you go to the book of Hebrews, it tells that Abram took a tenth of what he got from this spoil, from this victory, from this battle, and he gave it to Melchizedek. A tenth of this, whatever it was. Now, the writer of Hebrews says, this shows you how important Melchizedek was. That Abram gave him a tenth. Gave him a tenth. Great honor. We're going to come back to this king priest. But I want you to realize that who is this guy? Who is this guy that is so important that he blesses Abram and Abram gives him a tenth? And he's a priest of the Most High God. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of peace. And he's from Jerusalem or Salem. Well, we'll come back. But here's the next guy. Let's meet. Now, we see what Abram does with this man. He, he allows him to bless him. He gives him stuff. Wonder what the king of Sodom and the Sodom is going to think. Okay? Notice. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. What he's basically saying is, thank you for giving the big victory. Thank you for saving all these people's lives. Thank you for saving my family's lives and the people in my city. Give them to me. And whatever, whatever things you've got in the battle, all the spoils and everything, you just keep those possessions for yourself. Now, there's a choice going to be made. Is Abram going to identify with the king of Sodom? Because I'm going to tell you what, if he takes all the stuff from Sodom, Sodom could say later, what could the king say? You know, Abram's a rich man, but why is he so rich? I gave him a lot of the stuff. And you would also say, guess what? We're friends. I took some of your stuff. We're worth the deal. Does Abram want to be connected with the king of Sodom? I mean, we go through life, you know what? There are a lot of choices we make. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can identify with this fallen world. And we can do things that we say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter. I mean, because it's just, it's only money. It's only this. It's only possessions. It's only this. Who cares what people think about this? So what is Abram going to do? Are you going to be identified with the wicked king of Sodom? Or is he going to be identified with the true, righteous, holy God, And you have the same choices and I have the same choices that we make every day. Which one are we going to be identified with? What are we going to live by? Are we going to live by the Scripture and align ourselves with the Word of God and live what the Scripture says? Or are we going to get shaped by this world? As a saying that I've been kind of giving out is saying this, if you're not consciously being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. It is a truth. Just think about that. If you're not consciously being transformed, you will unconsciously be conformed. Because this world is trying to shape you and trying to make you think and trying to say this is this is what's right. And the truth is, it's not right. There are things that we laugh at that 25 years ago nobody would laugh at. I've watched things on television. I've watched things with other Christians. We sit there, something comes up and we all go, <laughs> and then I thought, man, 25 years ago they couldn't even have that on television. And I'm laughing at it. Why do I think that's funny now? What happened to us if we're not consciously being transformed? We will unconsciously be conformed to this world. And Abram, simply by saying, okay, we'll take the goods. Because, you know, after all, I did earn it. I did go up there and risk my life to save all these people. I might as well take something. What's wrong with that? How easy is it to think that way? What's wrong with that? You want to be identified with Sodom? Lot already is identified with Sodom. Where did it get him? So what what does Abram do? The king of Sodom said to Abram, verse 21, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, watch, I have sworn, I've made a choice i have sworn to the lord god most high look at the names there l-o-r-d all capitals that's the personal name of god and he says the personal name of god most high possessor of heaven and earth listen he said i've i swear to the true god who owns everything that i will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours I'm not taking one thing from you. I'm not going to be identified with you in any way, shape, or form. Why? For fear that you would say, that you could say, I have made Abram rich. He said, I'm not taking any chances that anybody's going to ever identify me with you. And sometimes we have to say, I'm not going to be identified with that. I don't care if everybody else does it. I don't care if everybody thinks it's funny. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's right. I'm not going to connect with that. Sometimes we just have to make those choices. And he says, I'm not going to let anybody think you made me rich. I'm not going to let anybody think that I, that me, Abram, is a friend of the king of Sodom. And then what he goes on to say is this. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten. See, I can't get that back because they ate it, right? Can't get that back. I'll take nothing except what they have already eaten. And the share of the men who went with me. That's Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre. That's, they're living at the, near the oaks of Mamre. Mamre is a man. He has big oak trees. He has some land. Abram is living near his place. They become alliance with these three men. They're raw brothers. And he doesn't speak for them. He says, I'm not taking anything. except that what the people have already eaten. And whatever share belongs to Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre. Let them take their share. That's up to them. If I'm guessing, you know what? Those three guys say, we don't want any of his stuff. I'm just guessing that. It doesn't say. Doesn't tell us. God owns it all. You don't have to depend on wickedness to get ahead. You don't have to have the things of this world to get ahead. It was God who blessed Abram and made him rich, not the wicked king of Sodom. Abram said, I don't want to, you know. If someday they write this in the Bible, I don't want anybody to think I got rich off Sodom. Right? God is the possessor of heaven and earth. He said, listen, I'll take only what the men have eaten and whatever belongs to Aenor, Eshcol, and Mamre. Let them take what they want. I will take nothing. F.B. Meyer, a great Bible teacher, said, When we are tempted by the bribes of the ungodly world, recall the name of God. God the Most High who possesses heaven and earth. We don't have to be identified with the fallen world. Trust in Him to provide, not the world to provide. Abram wanted the blessing from God, not from the king of Sodom. What a choice. To take possession from Sodom or blessing from Salem. The choice to get possessions or give possessions. You realize, instead of getting, Abram gave away that day. Instead of getting from Sodom, he gave away a tenth of everything and gave it to the king of Salem. He took the blessing from Melchizedek and rejected whatever the king of Sodom would give him. Now, With that in mind, let's stop for just a minute. Let's think about this man named Melchizedek. Who is this guy? I mean, what is going on? This man's famous due to his connection with our Savior Jesus Christ. Three things we want to think about. First of all, who is the man? What did Abraham do when they talked? And then we realize this king, this man named Melchizedek, is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. He's a type of Christ. His life and what he did is a foreshadow of what our Savior Jesus Christ, in a sense, was going to do from that time. Let's start with who is he, okay? Psalm 110, he's found really only in about three places in the Bible. He is found here in Genesis uh, 14. He is found in Psalm 110, verse 4, and he's found over in the book of Hebrews. That's the only places that he is mentioned. That's it. Psalm 110, verse 4, he's the king of Jerusalem. His name means king of peace, king of righteousness. He is a king priest of the true God. Now, that's who this man is. We know nothing about his background. In fact, when you go to the book of Hebrews, it says we we don't know about his mother, his father. We don't really know where he got his priesthood from. We just don't know anything about him. He is a picture of Jesus Christ, who is the king-priest, the king of righteousness, the, the priest of the Most High God. He enters the pages of Scripture and just disappears. And later David speaks of him in Psalm 110. And later the writer of the Hebrews talks about how he fits with Jesus Christ. The second thing is, what did Abraham do? He allowed the priest to bless him. Now we've already talked about that. He allowed the priest to bless him, which was saying, Abraham was saying, you are more important than me. That's what he's saying. And that's a strong statement. Because Abraham could say, by the way, out of all the people in the world, I'm the one God made the covenant with. I'm the one God made the covenant with. He didn't go to these other people. He went to me, and he said, through me, all the nations of the world is going to be blessed. He said, through me, is going to be the Messiah and the Savior. He said, through me, we got this land, this seed, and the blessing. But what does he do? He allows this man that we don't know anything about, so to speak, to be the one who blesses him. And the second, he gave a tenth of the spoil. He gave a tenth of this to Melchizedek. Showing how honored he was. Let me read something to you. Hebrews chapter 7. You don't have to turn there. In fact, don't turn there. Just from time's sake, I want to read this to you. Hebrews chapter 7. It says this. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abram as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abram apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, which first, by the translation, his name means King of Righteousness and also King of Salem, which means King of Peace. This is who this guy is, that we don't know much about him. Now, that takes us to the third thing, and that is that he was a foreshadow, a type of Jesus Christ. He is an illustration. That's what a type is, an illustration of a truth to come. The truth to come is just like this man, Melchizedek. His name means King of Righteousness. He was the King of Salem, which means King of Peace, and he was a King priest, and he came with bread and wine. He's a foreshadow of Jesus Christ, who is the King of righteousness and the king of priests, and who comes to Jerusalem, and he offers bread and wine, which is his body and blood, and he is the Savior. And this man, in a sense, is a priest and a foreshadow, because a priest in those days, what did the priest do? He offered sacrifices. What does Jesus do as the great high priest? He offers himself as the sacrifice. Just like Passover lamb was a type of Christ, Melchizedek is a type of Christ. S. Lewis Johnson, a great Bible teacher, said, this obscure person, because of this clue for the teaching, concern, it became the clue or became the key for the teaching of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Let me show you this right here, how it fits together. This, their type. Melchizedek was a king and a priest. Jesus Christ is a king and a priest. In fact, Jesus is a prophet, priest, and king, but he is a king and a priest. Melchizedek is the king of righteousness. Jesus is the righteous one who knew no sin. Melchizedek is the king of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. Melchizedek came from Salem, which is Jerusalem. Jesus Christ did all of his ministry, the the final part, the sacrifice in Jerusalem. Melchizedek was not of the tribe of Levi. Jesus Christ was a priest, not of the tribe of Levi. I want you to understand something. The tribe of Levi offered the sacrifices in the earthly temple and tabernacle. Do you understand that Jesus Christ could not, when he walked on this earth as God... Could not go into the temple and offer a sacrifice. Why? Had to be the tribe of what? Levi. Jesus was the tribe of Judah. So Jesus' priesthood was not going to be after the tribe of Levi as all the other priests were because he wasn't of that tribe. He has a priesthood which the Bible describes as a priesthood after the order of, are you ready? Melchizedek and so not a levite not a levite brought the bread and wine brought the body and the blood melchizedek is a type of christ a foreshadow now let me tell you there's some people who believe that melchizedek wasn't a real person that it was really jesus who was just you know jesus who just kind of came there that day and met abram but the bible in the book of hebrews said tells us that melchizedek was a real person that he was like christ but didn't say he was christ And so that's sort of that tie together. Melchizedek foreshadows the coming of the king-priest, Jesus Christ, who is righteous and by his sacrifice as the great high priest brings blessing to all the world. So Jesus is the king of kings. He's the great high priest. He is righteousness. He is peace. He's from Jerusalem, and he has the priesthood after Melchizedek. Realize this. Next slide, I think. Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice for sin. I want to read something to you. Don't turn there again. I just want to read this to you. This is a book of of Hebrews. Chapter 9, verse 11, talks about what Jesus did as the great high priest. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with hands, that's not of this creation. When Jesus offered his blood sacrifice for sin, it was in a tabernacle in heaven, not on this earth. Because he couldn't go in the one on this earth. The one on this earth. Who could go in the one on this earth? People from the tribe of what? Levi. But Jesus is a priest after the daughter of Melchizedek. And so he goes into heaven. It goes on to say, And not through the blood of bulls and goats, but through His own blood, He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews goes on to say in verse 4 of chapter 10, It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But it goes on and says, But when Jesus offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And I want to tell you something. In the priesthood on the earth, which was the Levitical priesthood, priests stood all the time offering sacrifices, day after day after day. And in the pre- in the tabernacle or the temple, there were no chairs. There were no places for them to sit down. They didn't say, excuse me, just a minute, I'm just going to go, Ugh, I'm going to rest for just a little bit, I'm going to sit down. There's no place to sit down. You know what? Work was never finished. They couldn't stop. People kept offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And why did they have to keep offering the sacrifices over and over again? Because what? They kept sinning. And why? What, what did these sacrifices do? They only what? They only covered sin. But Jesus came as the great high priest and he offered one sacrifice for sin forever. And then what did he do? He went and sat down. Why? It's finished. That's the picture. That's why the Bible says, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ, final sacrifice for sin forever. Now in Genesis, where this passage, what we're looking at in Genesis 14, where he has the choice to make. King of Sodom comes out, offers him a lot of stuff. King of Jerusalem, Salem comes out, blesses him, and Abram gives him stuff. And he has choices to make. Who are you going to identify with? To be identified with the sinful world of Sodom or the righteous king of Salem. And Abram made the right choice. And you know what? You and I do not want to be identified with the fallen world. We do not want to be identified with the sinfulness of this world. We just can't. We've, we've got to be different. Because it, as I said, if we're not consciously being transformed by the renewing of our mind and putting God's word in our mind. If we're not consciously doing it, we're going to be unconsciously conformed to the world. Because it's doing it. It's pushing you every day. It's making you think things. It's making you think this is right or this is right. This is okay. It's really not that bad. It's really not that bad. I uh, I had some people talk to me one time and they said, Have you ever seen Family Guy, J.B.? family guy has some guy in it, and then has this guy named Stewie, which is a little guy, and it has his son and a wife and all this, you know. And they said, have you ever seen that show? And I said, no, oh, it's funny. You'd like it. Really? I said, so I watched it. It's bad. It's funny, but it's bad. And you know what? There are people who think that's funny. Because they have been so unconsciously shaped to think that that's funny. It's not funny, y'all. It's not funny. Let me tell you, when I was a kid, you couldn't watch stuff. like I wouldn't be allowed on television. It's nasty. I mean, I'm, just, I'm not trying to be a prude. I'm just telling you it's nasty. And yet nowadays people say, that's funny. That's funny. Why? Because our world has just shaped us and shaped us. We don't want to be identified with that. Do you and I choose to be identified with the fallen world or with the perfect? Righteous God. What have we seen? We've seen the war and the four kings take off light and Abram chooses and goes and trusts God and they give, God gives the victory and they come back and he's met by the king of Sodom and by Melchizedek and Abram refuses to take the goods from Sodom and he receives the blessing from Melchizedek and he gives a tenth to Melchizedek and Melchizedek foreshadows our Savior Jesus Christ as the great king priest. Let me give you some applications. First of all, realize we are responsible for the choices that we make. C.S. Lewis said this, Today, you face choices. I like this quote. Today, you face choices. Tomorrow, you will face the consequences of the choices you make. Think about that. Sometimes we think, I'm going to do this, but there'll be no consequences. Nobody will ever know what I do. There are consequences. See, the truth is, we're responsible for the choices. It's not our background, it's not our society, it's not somebody else. We're responsible. A. Where are you seeking blessing? The world? Or God? It's because Abram had a great shot at being blessed by the world because the king of Sodom was fixing to give him a whole bunch of stuff. Are you seeking the things that are eternal or the things that are temporal? Lot chose the visible possessions of Sodom. Remember when the choice was going to be made and Lot looked over there and saw how good everything looked and he went, I know it's not a really good place but there's a lot of good stuff there. But Abram rested in the unseen promises of the living God. That's a big difference. B, with whom are you identified, the world or the word, the unrighteous or the righteous? Abram had a choice. You're going to be identified with the king of Sodom or you're going to be identified with the king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God. We're either being conformed to this world or we're being transformed. Jonathan Edwards said this, I resolve that all men should live for the glory of God. I resolve that whether others do or not, I will. Good choice. Number two, realize that Jesus is the one who by his sacrifice deals with our sin. He is the great high priest. He is our Savior. He was foreshadowed by Melchizedek as the king priest. He is the king of righteousness, the king of peace. He offers himself for the final sacrifice for sin. Jesus is the Savior. He's the only Savior. And sometime, if you want to look, look in this Genesis 14, Psalm 110, and then go to the book of Hebrews. He's mentioned about three places in the book of Hebrews. Put that together and do some study on it. You'll be surprised... Just how little there is on Melchizedek and who he is and what he did. But he's a foreshadow of our Savior. The third thing is God gives the victory. God gives the victory. We have to trust him in the events of life. When Abram went off to fight that battle, if you said to Abram, do you think you have enough troops to whip that army? He'd say, I don't think I have anything near close to that. Well, how do you think you're going to win? I'm going to have to trust God to give the victory. And as we go through life, listen, you're up against... Uh, we 're fighting not against flesh and blood but against ruler 's powers, world forces, wicked forces of darkness and heavenly places we 're not in a fighting flesh and blood we 're fighting a spiritual battle. You have not you personally cannot win it only in god 's power can you win. Thanks be to God, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Make the choices of life either for the eternal, being identified with our Savior Jesus Christ, and trusting him as the great high priest. And we need to tell others of his sacrifice. Let's pray. If you've got questions or comments, well, we'll talk about it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great picture here as we see Abram making choices. As he comes back, Lord, he has the choice between wicked Sodom and righteous Melchizedek from Jerusalem. And Lord, thank you that we see what Abram did and he would not be identified at all with the wickedness of Sodom. And May each one of us seek to live for you and make our choices, knowing that the choices we make today will live with those choices and those consequences in the days to come. We want to live righteously and godly in this fallen world. We want to be identified with the, the word and not the world. Lord, thank you that victory is in Jesus Christ. He is the strength. He is our shield. He gives us the victory as we seek to live for him. And thank you, Lord, that Jesus is the great high priest who offered himself as the final sacrifice for sin forever. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything? Input. Yeah, Sue. Okay, yes. Melchizedek, which one? Where? In the book of Hebrews? Well, what you do is you read about this man and he's over there. We don't have to oh, no, no, I, I told you that in Psalm 110, all it says is that J, Jesus Christ's priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. That's all. You get to the book of Hebrews, and all the book of Hebrews tells us is there's this man who was the king priest of Salem who met Abram. And, and what I told you tonight, that is all we have. What, well, there's about three places. There's about three places. Huh? Well, it's he's mentioned three times. Okay. 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 And you just have to look at it. I'm going to let you find it, okay? Don't... Yeah, you do. Okay. But anyway, just look at it because there's not much there. And and we we'll, all we can say is who is this guy? But if you read it carefully, it says he was like the son of God. It doesn't say he was the son of God. So, yeah, I think he's he's the person who lived and was the foreshadow of Jesus. But good question. What else? What else? Hey, John. Yeah. Now I think that the writer of Hebrews John I don't know if you could hear him say how would the writer of Hebrews know even more since we don't have hardly anything in in the book of Genesis and there's just a little statement in Psalm one eight uh, Psalm one ten verse four how would the writer of Hebrews know any more well the only thing I can think of is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he's writing down that letter to the Hebrews that God gave him a little bit more revelation to tell us exactly uh, more details about Melchizedek but we don't have a, we don't have a lot about this man at all yeah. Places he's mentioned. Yeah. It, okay. Where he is? Yeah. Hebrews five and Hebrews seven. See, it's in Hebrews five and a little bit in eight, and then he's mentioned in thirteen. So it's about four or five places in the book of Hebrews. Ecclesiastics. I don't think. Well, we'll have to look at that because I don't. I don't know where. Maybe they're just using a different name there, but I don't think he's over there in Ecclesiastes. Okay. Look at that and see. All right. What else? Anything else? Okay. Yeah. Oh, Owen, you wanna say anything? about Right, right. Because in the Jewishness the only people that could be priests were from the tribe of Levi and they had to be a descendant of Aaron. But since Jesus is a great high priest at the throne of Melchizedek, and since we're all king priests ourselves, in a sense, the way God says it, then we don't we 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 can come boldly unto the throne of grace because technically we're all priests ourselves, and we offer sacrifices. What are the sacrifices that we as priests offer? We huh, we offer what? ourselves. ourselves. Hebrew, uh, yeah, the the uh, Romans one, Romans twelve one and two, where we offer our lives as living sacrifices. What else? The book of Hebrews tells us we offer up. The sacrifice of our lips. We offer up the sacrifice of doing good works. So we offer up those sacrifices. Did you find it yet? Okay. Are you having that much trouble finding Ecclesiastes or just. Yeah. Yeah, Bob. In the footnotes of my Bible, it talks about uh, the is it Martichy tablets about 2300 BC? Mm-hmm. It mentions these same names. Does it really? Yeah, that's what it says. Is that a rarity study Bible? Uh-huh. Got to be right then, does yeah. you know, not it? Yeah. Yeah. So it mentions so that that uh, tablets have some of these names in there. It has personal names like Hazar, Medigo, God. Megiddo, yeah. Abram. Does it mention Melchizedek? Uh, no, it doesn't say that, does it? It says Fillmore tablets contain the names named Jerusalem and hundreds of other places and personal names. Like, So we don't know if they're, I don't think they're mentioned in there, but there are all kinds of names. There are lot, what, one of the reasons that Ryrie saying that is that a lot of people want to say that none of these people existed. I, I don't know if you all understand this or not. Do you realize that it wasn't until several years ago that many Bible so-called scholars said there never was a King David? because they didn't find anything that said David. And then not too many years ago, 10, 15, 20 years ago, they found a thing uh, to the house of David, David. And they found it. And so they said, well, maybe there was a David. Oh, yeah, really? You think so? Bible's been saying that for a long time. So there's a bunch of stuff in the ground that if they ever found it and got it up, it would match the Scripture even more. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for coming.